Hello, and welcome to this, the first episode of a new season of Assassinations Podcast. After some two and a half years, we're now embarking on the seventh season of the show. As I mentioned in the trailer last week, there won't be a theme for this season. Rather, we're going to cover a potpourri of cases. Some will be assassinations that I've wanted to cover but which haven't fit into the themes of previous seasons. And some subjects will be suggestions from you at home. Before we get started, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. They provide podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you're going to get when you include an ad from Podgo. Podcasters can apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co P-O-D-G-O dot C-O We're going to start things off this week with a relatively light-hearted and seasonal episode in honour of both Halloween and the ongoing US presidential election campaign. We're going to consider some tales of spooky apparitions at the White House, in particular, the legend of Abraham Lincoln's ghost. Welcome to Assassinations Podcast, where we delve into some of history's most notorious political killings and explore the mysteries and conspiracies that surround them. Time and again, assassins have wielded the blade, the poison vial, the bullet, and the bomb to shape the course of history. I'm your host, Neil Cooper, and in this podcast, I'm going to investigate the lives and deaths of some of history's most colourful characters. Abraham Lincoln, the 16th President of the United States, is said to have haunted the executive mansion ever since his murder in 1865. Lincoln had just led the Republic through the American Civil War, which broke out just weeks after he was first inaugurated as president in 1861, but the war was not yet formally concluded at the time of his assassination. During the Titanic struggle, Lincoln succeeded in preserving the Union, abolishing slavery in the process. As a result of the war, the country and the way it was governed was altered radically, while tectonic economic and social changes occurred that would, in the post-war era, transform the United States from a largely rural country into an industrial powerhouse. 
Lincoln was born into poverty on the western frontier of Indiana in 1809. A self-educated lawyer, he joined the Whig Party and became a state legislator and then congressman from Illinois. Following a hiatus from politics, he returned to practice law. But he decided that he had to re-enter the political fray in 1854. He was a fierce opponent of the expansion of slavery from the South into new Western territories, and he disapproved of aspects of the compromise measures that had been cobbled together by Congress in an attempt to reconcile the irreconcilable, the competing interests of slave and free states. He helped to establish and became the leader of a new political party, the Republicans. Some within his movement were radicals who wanted to move decisively to abolish slavery, by force if needed. But Lincoln was a moderate Republican. In 1858, he described his view on the question of slavery using language that was typically powerful, plain, pragmatic, and influenced strongly by biblical verse. A house divided against itself cannot stand, he said. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half-slave and half-free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved, I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing, or all the other. This statement proved to be, if anything, overly optimistic. But he was correct on one key point. The United States would have to become one thing or another, all slave or all free. The two systems, it seemed, simply could not coexist within the same republic. Lincoln ran for president on the Republican ticket in the 1860 election. He won an overwhelming victory in the northern states and a majority in the electoral college. But powerful forces in the south viewed Lincoln's rise to the White House as a mortal threat to their property rights, that is to say, their legal ownership of millions of human beings of African descent as chattel slaves. Even before his inauguration on March of 1861, the southern states began seceding from the Union. The war is considered to have really started when the newly organised Confederate States of America fired upon federal forces at Fort Sumter in Charleston Harbour, South Carolina. Lincoln issued orders to militarily suppress the rebellion and restore the Union. Expressing the core of his political and military mission, he wrote to a friend in 1862, My paramount object in this struggle is to save the Union, and is not either to save or destroy slavery. If I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, 
I would also do that. What I do about slavery and the coloured race, I do because I believe it helps to save the Union. And what I forbear, I forbear because I do not believe it would help to save the Union. It soon became clear to him that the abolition of slavery, in total, all across the continent, would be required in order to achieve this goal. Issued on New Year's Day, 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation was an executive order in which Lincoln declared that all slaves within the Confederacy were thenceforward and forever free, and that the government of the United States would recognise and maintain their freedom, supporting any efforts they might make to effect that freedom. The Emancipation Proclamation was a broadside against the South. In effect, it was a call for a slave rebellion that would internally weaken the Confederate States, making it even more necessary for the Southern elite to focus on maintaining control over their slaves, even as it had to fight the Union to maintain their ownership of them. The proclamation was also a boost for the Union cause especially for its most radical supporters, who now had a concrete commitment that their sacrifices would yield their dearly desired goal. Not just the subduing of the rebellion, but the destruction of slavery in America. Lincoln managed his own successful re-election campaign in 1864, and, on March 4, 1865, delivered his second inaugural address expressing his desire to heal the war-torn nation through speedy victory, followed by a, quote, just and lasting peace. On April 14th, just days after the effective conclusion of the war, President Lincoln was attending a play at Ford's Theatre with his wife Mary when he was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth. Booth was a well-known actor, and a Confederate sympathiser from Maryland. It is claimed that it was after attending a speech made by Lincoln three days before, in which the President lent support to the idea that freed slaves should be allowed to vote, Booth hatched his murderous plan. Through his connections, Booth learned that Mr and Mrs Lincoln would attend a play at Ford's Theatre, just a short distance from the White House. The play was Our American Cousin, a comedic farce whose plot is based on the introduction of an uncouth American to his English aristocratic relatives when he goes to England to claim an inheritance. The Lincolns had been due to attend the performance in the company of General Ulysses Grant, Commanding General of the United States Army. This was just five days after the de facto end of the Civil War. At the last minute, however, General Grant changed his mind and decided to travel north to New Jersey to visit his children instead of attending the play. The President and the First Lady were seated in a box in the company of US Army officer Major Henry Rathbone and his fiancée. At 10.14pm, Booth 
entered the box and crept up upon Lincoln before firing at the back of his head at point-blank range. Major Rathbone grappled with Booth, but Booth stabbed him with a dagger and escaped. After being attended by three doctors from the theatre audience, Lincoln was taken across the street to Peterson House. There he remained for eight hours in a coma before being pronounced dead at 7.22am on April 15th. Lincoln's body, draped in the Union flag, was escorted to the White House by army officers. In the air, bells of all the city's churches rang. The following morning, Vice President Andrew Johnson was sworn in as the 17th President of the United States. Two weeks later, Booth was tracked by Union soldiers to a farm in Virginia. He refused to surrender and was mortally shot. Major Rathbone never forgave himself for failing to stop or apprehend Booth. His mental health seriously declined, and years later he was committed to an insane asylum after murdering his wife. Let's take a break, after which we'll consider the personal tragedies that beset Abraham Lincoln's life before we hear the many remarkable tales of unexplained apparitions at the White House. As I said at the top of the show, Assassinations Podcast is now in its seventh season. We began back in early 2018, and it has been a fascinating and fun journey exploring the darker side of history. I hope that, whether you've been a listener for a long time, or if you're relatively new to the show, you've enjoyed it and found it to be interesting. Over the years, I've been fortunate to have been supported by people through Patreon. Patreon is a subscription-style payment model which allows listeners to help make this show through a monthly donation. In exchange, we offer exclusive access and extra content, including videos and bonus episodes. Ultimately, Patreon offers a platform through which you can assist Assassinations Podcast to create more of what you love. If you'd like to support the show in this way, please go to patreon.com slash assassinationspodcast. And to our current patrons, including recent supporter David Wallington, I'd like to say thank you very much. Now, back to the show. For years, presidents, first ladies, guests, and members of the White House staff have claimed to have either seen Lincoln or felt his presence. The melancholy bearing of Lincoln himself during his years as president, and the many personal tragedies that beset his life, seem to add weight to the legendary sightings of his ghost. By the time of his 1864 re-election, the stresses of war and the weight of government seemed to have moulded Lincoln's body 
and shaped his face. He stooped, and his gait was awkward. Always thin, he had become quite gaunt. Deep wrinkles etched his face, and heavy black circles underlined his eyes. He had sent hundreds of thousands of men to kill and be killed on bloody battlefields. By nature, a man of peace and brotherhood, he had had to make ruthless decisions in an almighty effort to preserve the republic that he led. During his five years as commander-in-chief, he managed to sleep for only a few hours each night, and he had no time for even a day's true rest. For most people, the stresses of such a task would have been overwhelming. And yet, Lincoln had to do all of this while dealing with his own grief and trauma. His beloved mother, Nancy Hanks Lincoln, had died when her son was nine. Throughout his life, he would praise his mother as a paragon of womanhood, the person who, above all others, shaped his life and character. When Lincoln's first love, Anne Rutledge, died of typhoid fever in 1835, he lapsed into a depression that some scholars believe may have led to an emotional breakdown. It should be said, however, that the relationship of Lincoln and Anne Rutledge has been disputed by other scholars, who questioned if he ever had a particularly close romantic relationship with a woman. Nevertheless, in 1842, at the age of 33, Lincoln married Mary Todd. Their union was not a particularly happy one, it seems. Mary and Abraham did not appear to have particularly complementary temperaments, and there were few signs of real affection between them, though they did have four children together. Out of their four sons, only the eldest, Robert Todd Lincoln, lived to adulthood. Their second son, Edward, died aged just four, while their third child, William, succumbed to typhoid fever at the age of 11 during his father's first term as president. The youngest son, Thomas, died aged 18 after his father's assassination. Lincoln was shattered by William's death. He is said to have visited the crypt where the child was buried. There he would sit for hours, weeping. Now, I would not assume to psychoanalyze a father's grief, but I feel that the death of William might have hit his father so profoundly, at least in part, because it came in the midst of the horrors of the Civil War. It was a family tragedy that compounded the great collective trauma of that war. Lincoln, the father of the nation, sent so many young men to die, a fact that undoubtedly haunted him. The untimely death of his own young son, a crushing blow at the best of times, might have seemed the distillation of that national grief. At any rate, 
The death of the boy seems to have racked Lincoln with the most profound sense of loss. And, of course, Mrs. Lincoln was also devastated by the death of her children. Mary Lincoln was very interested in spiritualism, the belief that people could communicate with the dead through the intervention of mediums. At her urging, seances were held at the White House with the hope of communicating with her dead sons. The President was not a particularly religious or superstitious man, though he certainly believed in some sort of God. It seems that he was deeply sceptical of spiritualism and is known to have attended only two of the seances organised by his wife. Though he might not have put much stock in it himself, Lincoln did admit that he dreamed of his own death. He told a friend that in early 1865, before his second inauguration, he had a vision of his own body lying in state in the White House. This was not the first time that Lincoln had what might be called a vision of his own death. Soon after his election in 1860, he caught a glimpse of himself in a mirror which appeared as a double image, one sharp, the other blurred. He mentioned this strange phenomenon to Mary, who interpreted it as a sign that the sharper image indicated that he would serve out his first term. The faint, ghost-like image was a sign, she said, that he would be re-nominated for a second term, but would not be able to complete it. <laughs> or so the story goes. Well, Whatever the views of Lincoln and his wife might have been, there have been many others who, over the years, have claimed to have had otherworldly encounters at the White House. Grace Coolidge, the wife of Calvin Coolidge, the 30th President from 1923 to 1929, was the first person to report having seen the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. She claimed to have witnessed him standing at a window of the Oval Office, hands clasped behind his back, gazing out over the Potomac River. Sightings of the ghost of Lincoln were often reported during the administration of Franklin D. Roosevelt, just as the country was enduring another devastating war. Eleanor Roosevelt used Lincoln's bedroom as her study. Although she denied ever seeing the former president's ghost, she did admit to feeling his presence whenever she worked late at night, standing behind her, looking over her shoulder. Mary Eben, Eleanor Roosevelt's secretary, claimed to have actually seen Lincoln. Mrs. Eben said that she witnessed the ghostly figure of the dead president in the Lincoln bedroom, pulling on his boots. Understandably, she ran out screaming. During a state visit, Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands stayed at the White House. One night she was awakened by a knock on her bedroom door. Assuming it must be an important message, she got out of bed 
and opened the door to be greeted not by a secretary or aide-de-camp, but by the top-hatted figure of old Abe, standing in the hallway. The Queen fainted, and when she came to, lying on the floor, the terrifying apparition had vanished. Another guest at the FDR White House was Prime Minister Winston Churchill. It was the British leader's habit before retiring to bed to take a long, hot bath with a large glass of whisky and a cigar. There is a story that on one occasion he climbed out of the bath and walked naked to the adjoining bedroom. There, he was more than startled to see none other than Lincoln standing by the fireplace in the room, leaning on the mantle. Churchill is alleged to have quipped, Good evening, Mr. President. You seem to have me at a disadvantage. At this, Lincoln is said to have smiled softly and faded into the ether. FDR's successor was President Harry Truman. During his tenure, the Lincoln bedroom was converted back into a bedroom for special guests. Truman's daughter, Margaret, said that she heard something rapping at the door of the Lincoln bedroom when she stayed there one night. She was convinced that it was Lincoln himself. One of the maids at the White House around this time a woman named Lillian Parks also reported hearing footsteps near the Lincoln bedroom, where, she said, there could have been nobody else present. Then, in the 1960s, Liz Carpenter, who worked as the press secretary to Lady Bird Johnson, reported that Mrs. Johnson believed she'd felt Lincoln's presence in the White House. The story goes that one evening the First Lady was watching a television program about Lincoln's assassination. Her eye was suddenly caught by something in the room that she'd never noticed before, a plaque hanging over the fireplace. She got up to take a closer look. The plaque mentioned that Lincoln had used that very room as a study. Mrs. Johnson told her press secretary about the incident, noting that she felt a chill run down her spine and a deep sense of unease. There were also sightings in the 1980s, including a claim made by Ronald Reagan's daughter to have seen an otherworldly figure, much in appearance like Lincoln, stalking the corridors of the White House. Abraham Lincoln is not the only ghost witnesses claim to have seen. His son, William, was first reported to have been seen in the White House by staff members during the administration of Ulysses Grant back in the 1870s. Almost a century later, President Lyndon Johnson's teenaged daughter, Linda, also claimed to have seen the ghost of the little boy and spoken to him. Now, I leave it entirely up to you. Some people, such as Mary Todd Lincoln, fervently believe in ghosts. Others absolutely do not. Most people, I suspect, are sceptical, much like Abe Lincoln himself. 
Clearly, rather a lot of folks have had, or claim to have had, some manner of supernatural encounter at the executive mansion. Do we put that down to overactive imaginations? Or do we accept that there is more on Earth than is known to our philosophies? Maybe we just take all of this as a good old Halloween story, as I have intended this episode to be. Whatever way you slice it, though, I think it's interesting that it is the spectre of Abraham Lincoln that has been reported most often. A testament to the monumental place he holds in the national life and consciousness of the United States, and a product, I suspect, of the shocking manner of his death. Thank you for listening to this slightly offbeat Halloween slash presidential election themed episode. I will return in two weeks' time with a rather more conventional case to consider. We'll be staying in the United States, but travelling southwards to the state of Louisiana to consider the life and death of political boss Huey P. Long. Governor of Louisiana, and then representing the state in the US Senate in the 1930s, he was considered to be one of the most colourful and controversial figures in American public life. A populist, often denounced as a demagogue, he was assassinated in 1935, just as he was preparing to announce a bid to challenge President Franklin Delano Roosevelt for the Democratic Party nomination for president. I hope you'll join me for that investigation. This episode was researched and written by me, Neil Cooper. Lindsay Morse produces and edits the show. Our theme music is by Graham Ronald. You can reach out to us through Twitter, at AssassinsPod. And you can support the show through Patreon. For as little as a dollar per month, you can gain access to exclusive bonus material at patreon.com slash assassinationspodcast. Most recently, I posted an update on Patreon about the case of Sergei Skripal, and an alleged connection between that case and the recent apparent poisoning of Russian politician Alexei Navalny. You can also support this show by going to iTunes or your podcatcher of choice to leave us a rating or review. Thanks again, and I hope you'll join me in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye.